Morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Morning to you. Uh, happy Palm Sunday. Uh, you know, I grew up in uh, Cambridge, Minnesota, which is about 30 minutes north of here on uh, Highway 65. When I was uh, 12 years old, I remember in sixth grade, we went on an awesome field trip to Trollhagen. Anyone ever been there? To go skiing. Uh, I don't remember a, a whole lot about the actual field trip. I'm sure I was just dominating black diamonds the entire time. <clears throat> I, was probably on the, I was probably on the bunny hill the whole time. But I do remember the bus ride home. Uh, we were about, I would say, 10 minutes from home. And it's about an hour drive or so from Cambridge. We're about 10 minutes from home, and some kid yells out, Hey, where's Perla? Now, Perla was a new student at Cambridge, and she didn't have a lot of friends yet. She wasn't very connected. And I remember sitting in my seat just watching the nonverbals of the teachers sort of looking at each other. And they're all basically saying, you know, and, and they started to say to each other, I thought she was with you. I thought she was with you. I thought she was with you. It was just like intense. Now, this was 1994, right? So you couldn't just whip out your cell phone and give Google Trollhagen's number, right? So it's just a long, long 10 minutes back to the school. And I remember a teacher went into the building, nervously called Trollhagen, which she was still there, and then probably more nervously called Perla's parents. <laughs> hey, how are you? Uh, <laughs> and then one of the teachers went back to Wisconsin to pick her up. Yikes, right? Now this morning, as we get into our uh, second week on our new series, Lost and Found, which we're going through the Gospel of Luke, uh, we're going to look at another story of another lost 12-year-old, except this one who was left behind wasn't actually scared because, well, he was Jesus. Okay, if you want to follow along, uh, there's a Bible under every chair. Uh, we are going to be on page 833 today. It's always helpful to have the Word in front of you. Uh, or you can use your phone. Uh, just have Bible on our app uh, and weekly verses, and you'll be able to find it there as well. Now, this, this story we're going to look at today is actually kind of interesting. It's the only story in the Bible where Jesus is not a baby or a man. And it's actually significant that Jesus is going to be 12 years old in this upcoming story. See, in ancient Jewish culture, and even, and even somewhat in, in Orthodox Jewish culture today, uh, 12 was the last year of being a child. See, once you turned 13 in those days, you were to bear the responsibility for knowing God's law and his commandments. In a sense, uh, th this is why in Jewish tradition, uh, you have a, a bar mitzvah at age 13. See, in those days, a father would look at his son when he turned 13, and he would say, son, you're a man now. Act like it. Right? Nowadays in America, a father looks at his son at 35 and says, get out of my basement. Right? <laughs> so... Things have changed, right? So let's look at the story of 12-year-old Jesus. So we're in Luke chapter 2. I mentioned last week we're skipping over the Christmas story because uh, who likes Christmas? I'm just kidding. Uh, because uh, you've heard uh, teaching on the Christmas story uh, throughout your life. And so we sort of jumped over that in the Gospel of Luke, and we're at, at the end of chapter 2 now. So starting at verse 41 today. Here's what it says. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. 
After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Okay, so Jesus and his family, they make this required pilgrimage from Nazareth all the way down to Jerusalem for the annual celebration of the Passover, which is something we taught on back when we did the book of Exodus of last year. But afterwards, 12-year-old Jesus decides that he's just going to stay in the temple and, I don't know, quiz the teachers a little bit, right? That would have been a fascinating conversation to see. So Mary and Joseph, they're just journeying, you know, back up north towards Nazareth until not 10 minutes later, right? Not an hour later, but a full day later, they realize that Jesus is not with them. Now, to modern-day Americans, this story makes absolutely no sense to us, right? especially as modern-day helicopter parents. I mean, even in 1994, when I was 12 years old, on a summer day, I would say to my parents, hey, <clears throat> Dad, my dad was always he was a teacher. He was home with us in the summers. I would say, Dad, I'm just going to uh, hang out with uh, some of the neighbor kids uh, this morning, you know, maybe eat lunch here and just hang out in the afternoon. I'll see you at supper. Like, all right, see you later. Nowadays, right, even a generation later, kids say to their parents, hey, I'm going to go over to, uh, and they'll say, do you, do you have your Find My Friends app? turned on because I'm going to need to stock your location where you're going. Could the mother of the child you're going to be hanging out with send me some photos when you're there just so I could have some visual confirmation of your whereabouts, right? <laughs> Things have drastically changed just in a generation. And so we, we read the story and we cannot figure out what's wrong with Mary and Joseph. How do you possibly not know that your child is missing for an entire day? I mean, we all had the same question watching Home Alone back in the day, right? <laughs> Like, how do, you, how do you leave Macaulay Culkin behind, right? I always just felt like, why? She's trying to get home to see him. Like, can't you just call the police, right? And go to his house. No, he's just home alone, right? And, and it's not just how do you lose your child. It's how do you lose Jesus, right? Like, how do you not keep track of, oh, I don't know, the Messiah, right? So Jesus is missing for a day. Now, of course, this is a different time and it's a different culture. And so here's how a pilgrimage would work in ancient Jewish culture. You'd start in your hometown and you'd start with just your immediate family. So they would leave Nazareth, you know, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Soon enough, they would join up with their extended family. So as they're kind of walking through the region of Galilee, they're joining up with relatives, and now they're becoming a medium-sized group. And often friends who maybe had smaller families would join your medium-sized group, and the medium-sized group would go to a larger group, and then someone would say, hey, I know you guys, let's go together. By the time they got closer to Jerusalem, these would be enormous groups of people, caravans, if you will, sort of going together to the pilgrimage. And thus, they're going home in the reverse order. And so Mary and Joseph, on the way home, they're just sort of assuming that 12-year-old Jesus is just walking home, I don't know, somewhere back there with the larger group of people. They're assuming that he's, I don't know, behind them somewhere or ahead of them. And so they just keep walking, walking home as usual. They just assume that Jesus is with their family and friends. You see, I want to submit to you this morning 
that we make the same mistake. As we journey towards our home and of heaven, we just assume for too many people that Jesus is with our family and friends. But unfortunately for many of those people, he's not. Now think about how this would have hit Mary and Joseph, because it should be similar for us. Right? As the day wore on, they had to kind of have these thoughts that started creeping up, maybe in the back of their mind. But is he really with them? Is Jesus really with our friends right now? Is he really with our family? And they start to think, hmm, I guess I don't really have any evidence that Jesus is with them. I didn't see them eating with Jesus. Right? I didn't see them talking about Jesus. You see the evidence? And so Mary and Joseph, they eventually do what we need to do, and they swallow hard, and they start going around to people and saying, hey, is Jesus with you? Is Jesus with you? Is Jesus with you? Now, you, look, you think through the people that we have in our lives, right? And you sort of categorize a little bit. We all have people that we just know that Jesus isn't with them, right? The evidence is they're not even close to living their lives for Christ. Maybe they're even antagonistic towards God. That's not really what we're talking about today. We're talking about the person that we've kind of been assuming, well, they just seem like a generally godly person. Maybe just assuming that Jesus is with them. That's what Mary and Joseph were doing. Do you know this type of person? The Bible talks about this type of person a lot. It's, it's the type of person that they're not an atheist. They're not agnostic. They may be kind of open to God. They may be a decent person. Maybe they went to church as a kid. But if you were able to look within their soul, you would see that they actually don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I think a lot of us know people like that, but most of us haven't had the courage to swallow hard and say, is Jesus with you? Now, that's not necessarily how you start that conversation, right? Hey, just, just a quick question, but you get the idea. It reminds me of an article I read uh, a number of years ago about a woman named Adele Gabori. Now, about four years prior to when this article was published, uh, Adele's neighbors hadn't seen her in a while, and so they did what any American would do. Uh, rather than go talk to her, they called the police, right? Because that's, that's, that's our, it's our relationships uh, nowadays. And the police did some investigating. They spoke with her brother, who didn't know her that well either, and said, you know what, I think, she's, I think that she's actually in a nursing home. So the police got back to the neighbors and said, you know, uh, we think she's in a nursing home. And so satisfied with that answer, the neighbors just began to take care of Adele's property. So her neighbor, Michael, for instance, noticed that her mail was just piling up and overflowing, and so he called the police and had to stop. Her neighbor Eileen noticed that her lawn was just getting out of control, and of course we can't have that in America, and so she paid a boy $10 twice a month to just mow her lawn, so everything would just keep looking nice on the outside. Another neighbor noticed that her pipes were freezing, and so they did the nice thing and called the utility company and had the water shut off. Well, things went on like this. This is a true story. Things went on like this for four years, and the house still looked great on the outside, but police began to go, ah, I don't know. And so they decided that they were going to investigate the house as a potential health hazard. So they came over, they opened up the door, and what they found was there was Adele, who was dead and had been dead for four years. She died four years ago of natural causes. 
And see, all of our neighbors, they never investigated any further than just the basic externals that they saw on the outside. And see, I think we do the same disservice to people like this in our lives. And so I think this is the question that today's text asks of us. For those sort of people in your life, who is it that maybe by just looking at the outside, you've just sort of been assuming that they've been with Jesus. So just assuming that they seem like a godly enough person. But what if they're not, right? What, what if they're just nice people and they're not really godly people? What does the scripture say about that? Well, let's just go to the basic gospel. I mean, what is the gospel? The gospel you can see in John 3.16, right? You know this. Many of you do. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now let's just, just sort of look at this and read it in the inverse, if you will. So whoever does not believe in him, whoever doesn't accept his free gift of life, then will perish, right? Will not have eternal life in heaven, will, but will be in hell for eternity. See, when somebody looks at God and they say, yeah, I, I see that you sent your very own son to brutally die in my place. But no thank you. I think I'll get in by my own righteousness. I think I'm good enough on my own. To refuse that gift has enormous consequences. And that's true no matter how nice you are. No matter how good of a person you are. But I just wonder if we really believe that. <clears throat> think of it this way. Okay, let's say you have, for some of you, this isn't even hypothetical. Okay, let's say you have a family member that's just drinking themselves to death. Right? Or, or, or maybe they're addicted to drugs. I think in some ways it always seems easier to start a conversation about God with a person like that. Right? It's easier to say, hey, you're at your lowest of low. You're thinking about checking into rehab. I just want to, I just want to tell you that there is another way. But what about the friend or family member that you have that just finished up at graduate school and they just bought a nice new house and they've got three beautiful kids and they tend to be, I don't know, generally an upstanding member of society. What about them? I think for some reason, most of us don't treat that person with the same level of urgency. Like I read through the prayer requests every week. And I feel like I never see prayer requests that say, hey, could you just pray for my coworker? They just got their second promotion in one year. And they just, they're not following God. And they just got a brand new house. Could you pray for them? Right? We, don't, we don't treat that person with the same level of urgency. And yet what I would say to you from my experience as a pastor, nine times out of ten, that person who's just, everything's going right and they're seeing success, nine times out of ten, that person is farther away from Jesus than the drug addict. See, because the drug addict is at least figuring out that they are never, ever going to get to heaven based on their own deeds. And honestly, that's half the battle in coming to Christ. And so listen, even if a person looks good on the outside, there's a decent chance that they're more like Adele Gabori on the inside. And see, the last thing we want is for you and I to die go to the judgment seat 
And let's say one of our coworkers or neighbors or friends is there at the same time as us, and maybe they're right in front of you in a line, and you, you hear their judgment. The last thing that any of us want to be thinking at the time is, oh man, I mean, you're not, I, because I, I guess I always assume, I, I thought he was with you. I thought, we never want to say, I thought. I thought he was with you. And see, there are people all over this city, and we know them, that are headed right now towards earthly pain. They're headed towards the pain of divorce. They're headed towards the depression of thinking life is all about money. They're headed towards the emptiness of thinking that life is all in success or beauty. And they're headed towards an eternal separation from God. They're trapped. And they don't know how to find life. Paul says in Romans 10, and how will they know? Who, how will they know? Unless someone tells them. And see, it's time, I believe that it's time to set some people free. It's time to renovate this city. You see, I want to challenge you this morning. Don't be satisfied in just nonchalantly strolling towards heaven. Right? Too many Christians just sort of wake up every day and they, they get out their Bible app and get their coffee and they have a nice morning devotion time. And they're just kind of strolling through their Christian life. We need to have a sense of urgency to our faith. Because people all around us in our city, we're not talking about Africa, in our city, are perishing. We need to look around and make sure that Jesus is with our friends and family. See, our mission as a church is to be a people being changed by God to change the world. It's to reach into the city. Tell people about life. See, I just want to tell you that we have an incredible opportunity in front of us uh, just in the next, next six or seven days. The Lord has, I know so many of you are new even in the last year, but the Lord really for the last few years has used our Easter services and our egg hunt outreach just mightily uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, last year, uh, even though at the time we were only averaging about 350 or so people on a Sunday morning, we had 2,000 people come to our Easter services. Uh, many of those people were invited by the amazing people of Renovation Church. Some of you in this room right now met Jesus last year at Easter. Uh, some of you in this room right now, your friends met Jesus at Easter last year, and today you sit next to them. I mean, how amazing is that? And today, one year later, there are another 100 people that attend this church than there were last year at this time. And Easter was a huge part of that. And our prayers were a huge part of that. And I just want to tell you, God is continuing to answer our prayer. We just really believe in the power of prayer here. That's why we're collectively praying for 8,000 minutes for Easter. And I just want to tell you this morning that God listens to prayer, and he is listening right now. Uh, so much so that, uh, in fact, Tim said that we've had a, a dozens and a dozens of registrations. Uh, in fact, it's significantly more than that. In fact, uh, our new family pre-registrations are significantly outpacing uh, even what we saw last year, which was crazy. Uh, so much so uh, that our staff has become worried that it might be difficult 
to fit everyone in here next weekend, especially on Saturday. And so it's come to this point, and honestly, I, if you would ask me a week ago, I would, and you said, what are the chances of this? I would have said under 10%. But God is listening, and God is moving, and so we know if we're going to fit everybody in here next weekend, we actually have to add a seventh service. And so we are adding a seventh service next weekend, uh, which is, cra- this is why we needed a building, people. <laughs> oh, man. It's going to be Saturday at 11.30. Uh, this is crazy. I'm, not, I'm just not sure. Maybe you do. I hope that you do. I don't know if you realize just how crazy this is. We're going to share the gospel. We're going to share about Jesus with 2,000-some people next weekend, the vast majority of which don't know Christ. I mean, churches, in general, that's not happening nowadays in 2018. The best I can tell with my math, I would say this kind of stuff is happening maybe in one out of 5,000 churches in America, and it's happening here. I just, as I'm just watching family after family just sign up, hey, yeah, yeah, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming. The last couple days I've just been thinking, this is almost like 100 years ago when churches used to hold camp meetings outside of town. And they'd bring in a bunch of musicians and somebody to speak. And the whole town would just go out and listen to music and someone would share the gospel. It's just an incredible, incredible opportunity. And it's happening right here. But we have to do this together, all of us, if this is going to happen. One of the things that we've also done in the last 48 hours or so is we've uh, successfully lobbied uh, the school district to uh, allow us to add yet another children's classroom per service. And so instead of having six classrooms per service next weekend, we're going to have seven, which is going to allow us to have 49 children's classrooms across uh, the weekend services, which is more than we were going to have before. We were going to have, that's seven services times seven classrooms. Seven times seven is 49. We were going to have 36 and so, because that's really where the pressure point is for us in space, is actually in our children's classrooms. However, as you might imagine, to do that, we need more volunteers. Uh, and so we need 24 of you to sign up to help with the new egg hunt on Saturday at 1130. You can do so on your app. Just tap uh, connect, volunteer the egg hunt. You can do out in the hallway. Uh, and, and, and what we really need is we need 51, today we need, we need 51 more renovation kids volunteer slots filled. And again, this isn't like, this isn't like another hour of your weekend going away. This is world-changing stuff to be a part of. I just keep thinking, plenty of people raise thousands of dollars and go away to a different continent for weeks at a time to see this many people come to Christ. And the same thing is going to happen right here next weekend at our place. I keep thinking of the Apostle Paul, who twice in the New Testament says that his whole life is an offering poured out to God. That's what we want said of us, right? None of us in here need another weekend of me time, right? We want to be a part of a movement that's penetrating into the darkness and renovating this city, and that's what's going to happen here. But of course, if God is truly going to do this amazing thing and blow our minds, then we've got to be ready for it as a people. And so I want you, uh, when you leave the service today, to either sign up, help with the egg hunt at our seventh service that we've added, which you can do in the hallway on our app. Uh, if you are a children's volunteer, which many of you are, our, our children's pastor, Alyssa Speck, is going to be in the hallway. Would you stop by at one of those tables out there and talk to her and say, hey, I can do it. Either, either that seventh service or, again, we're adding a classroom at all of the services.
Uh, our, our greeting leader, Sarah Hawkins, our, our ushers leader, Tim Solberg, will be out there as well. If you're on one of those teams, stop by and say, I can do it. Rachel Cheney, who oversees this entire outreach, Egg Hunt, will be out there. Would you just stop by and tell her, I'll do whatever you want me to do. All right? We, all of, we say this. All of us play different keys on the piano when we share the gospel. We're all part of it, but just be, be a part of it. Let God, let God use you, because we've got to fill 91 slots this morning. Now, I believe God can do that, because I believe in God, and I believe in the people of Renovation Church. I don't think that he would be doing this in our midst if he also weren't doing something in our hearts. You see, I know he's going to do something not just through you, through service, but I just believe he's going to do something through you in the sharing of your faith. Is Jesus walking with your friends? Is he walking with your family? Do you know? If you don't know, start investigating. If you're nervous about, ah, I just don't know how I would even start a spiritual conversation, inviting someone to church is one of a, it's sort of a baby step to that process. And inviting someone to an Easter service, especially with an egg hunt outreach, is one of the easiest steps that you can take in it. And it's still hard, and that's why we pray, right? But here's what I know, because I've been watching God do some crazy stuff over the last couple of years. Next weekend, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to cross the line of faith from perishing to saved. Sometime in the service, they're going to push back their chair, they're going to stand up, and the Holy Spirit is going to come in and fill their lives, and they're going to be forever changed. Now, I don't know who that, who that will be, but I can tell you who it probably won't be. It probably won't be the person that you don't ask. Now, I can't guarantee that anyone's going to say yes. I can't guarantee that they're going to respond to Jesus. I can't guarantee that they even would come back the next week. But no one's going to do anything unless we take a risk and we take a step of faith. You know what the Lord says in the book of Isaiah? God says that whenever his word goes out, it does not return empty. So we want to trust that whenever we do anything, we step out in faith for God, that he always accomplishes something. In fact, I just want to give you a couple of really tangible ways to do this even right now. So for one, we've been handing out a number of invite cards every week. I know many of you probably have plenty of them at this point. I hope that you've given them away or you will give them away. If you don't have any yet, our greeters will hand them to you when you leave today. Take one and then boldly trust God and invite your neighbor. Invite your coworker. Invite your sister. Invite your dental hygienist, right? Invite your chiropractic receptionist, right? Invite and trust God. Now, I believe that a face-to-face conversation is always the best way to do it. But some of you have already decided, I could never do that. Like, I could never do that, and I'm not going to do it. But you still feel like, ah, oh, I know this is so important. And so I just want to give you a step even to get started in this. Anybody can do this. Would you just take out your phone just for a second? You can do it. I see some of you not taking out your phone. I'm, I am looking at you. Um, <laughs> take it out just for a second. Would you consider texting an invite to someone? Maybe even using Facebook Messenger. Now, if you're not much of a wordsmith, right, you don't even say, I don't even know where to start. We put, I'll leave this up here for a couple minutes. Uh, there's a suggestion for you. Who's God been putting on your heart to reach out to? Would you just reach out to him and see what God would do? Would you trust God that his word always accomplishes something when it goes out? 
Now, if you're already planning on talking to this person face-to-face, then please just wait for that. But if you're not, or you've got somebody else that you're not going to talk to face-to-face, then just try it. I'll just leave this up here for a few minutes. Let's see what God will do. And also, I want to say this. I, 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 I just think this is important to say uh, every year. Every year, people come back to us and they say, oh, yeah, I want to invite some people. I got some people that I, I think would go. But I just, I'm not going to invite anyone. I can't invite anyone because I'm just serving all weekend. I'm in renovation kids, and then I'm, then I'm out on, uh, at the egg hunt, and so I can't, I can't invite anyone. Do not say that. Don't say that. I'm actually going to be pretty busy on next weekend serving, um, and I'm going to invite some people, all right? If necessary, serve a service and go to the, attend the next one with your friend. If they can only come at the service that you're already serving, well, then switch with someone. Find someone else to take your place. Talk to your ministry leader. This is way more important than you serving, right? You can serve any week of the year, but your friend is not going to come to church any week of the year. And I just believe that God is going to blow our minds next weekend. Not because we're organized, not because we're going to run a real nice event, but because we're praying. And we want to pray some more. So last thing, if you look under your chair right now, I want everybody to just lean over and grab. There's just a piece of paper on the Bible. So go ahead, lean over and grab that. And I want every person in here to write the name of one person, just one, that, you, that God is putting on your heart that you could invite to hear about Jesus next weekend. And then at any time during this next song, I want you to bring it up. There's two baskets here on the stage. And I want you to bring it up and put it in the basket. Now, if you're like, oh, I just can't think of someone, then just write, God put someone on my heart. And then here's what's going to happen. At the end of the service, our prayer team is going to come and they're going to collect all of these names. And they're going to divide all the names amongst themselves. And then every day, for the next seven days, they're going to pray over those names. And we're going to beg God for you to do the miraculous and save lives. Even if you're like, this person would never come. Write it down. Like, is that too hard for God? Is God going, yeah, you're right, I could not get them to come. Trust in God. That's how God is going to do this, right? We pray, he gets the glory. So I'm going to pray. Our worship team is going to come back on stage. And at any time during this last song, I want you to just walk that name up to the stage, almost a sense like an offering to God, that you're saying, God, I believe that you can do this, and we will pray for them. All right, so let me pray. God, we just, we, we, we beg of you to do the impossible next weekend. God, we just ask that you would blow our minds, you would increase our faith, and we would see you as more glorious than we've ever seen you before. We just love you so much. That's your amazing name we pray. Amen.